Today's scripture is Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to our service. It is so great to have you with us today. And um, I'd like to pray again before we get into the message. Uh, some of you saw an article this week about the uh, progress in the healing of uh, Officer Sean Hu, the police officer who was shot in Kernersville. And uh, someone in our church told me that uh, he and his family had attended church here for a time when they lived in this area. And um, we've been praying for him. Progress has been good, but I'd like to ask you to join me again this morning in prayer. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us as your people. We pray again for Officer Hool that you would continue the great healing progress that's been made. We thank you for preserving his life. And Lord, I want to pray for all those in our church, the many who are in law enforcement, that you would watch over them, that you would bless them and keep them and be a shield of care around them. Father, I also want to pray for any of our members who may be traveling this week, and I know that many uh, will be traveling with our youth trip down to the coast. Lord, would you watch over your church, your people this week? Would you be a shield around them? Would you keep them in your divine care? And now, Lord, as we look to your word this morning, would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us illumination, light and understanding where it is needed? Would you change us, Lord? Bring us into a fuller step with your plan and purpose for our lives so that when we leave here today, we would know you better and love you more. And we pray in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're in the midst of a study of the benedictions of Scripture this summer. And uh, benedictions in the Bible, especially the really short ones, can be uh, those verses or statements that it's very easy to just skim over to get to the, the other content in a book of the Bible. For example, the Apostle Paul 
wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. And in those letters, there are 24 benedictions that include the word grace. Like in the book of Ephesians, Paul, an apostle by the will of God, to the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus, who are in Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we hear something so often and see it so much that we gloss over it without thinking about what the words mean, as if it's some kind of a meaningless greeting. I was reminded of that this week when I read a, a uh, an account of a former U.S. president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and he, he often complained that he had to endure long receiving lines of people who came through the White House to speak to him at receptions and other things. He, just, he very much disliked it because dozens and dozens and dozens of people would come by to shake his hand, and he complained that those people who came by and said something to him, they wouldn't hear one word that he said when they passed by. And so he experimented with something one day. He had a long receiving line, and to everyone who passed down the line and shook his hand, he just said quietly, I murdered someone this morning. <laughs> and people would come by and say, God bless you, Mr. President. You're doing a great job, Mr. President. Keep up the good work. Until finally, the ambassador of Bolivia came by and, and caught his intended humor and leaned over and said, I'm sure they had it coming. So... <laughs> But benedictions can be that way in Scripture. They can be those parts that we, we read and don't really think as significant. Kind of like when we say to somebody, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you doing good? But there are no meaningless words in Scripture. When God says through the Apostle Paul or whoever the writer may be, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He's inspired those words because he wants us to have a deeper experience of his grace in our lives and of his peace in our lives. No inspired word from God is without significance and importance. And so we're, we're looking at benedictions, some lengthy, some very short. And they help us to understand more fully, I think, God's will for our lives. And they can also shape our own praying for others, speaking blessing over others where appropriate. Now, the passage we're coming to today would not be considered, I don't think, a normal uh, passage of benediction or blessing. It's a psalm, and it's Psalm 84. But I think that Psalm 84 is built around three distinct benedictions, three distinct blessings that can teach us about God's desire for our own uh, walk with Him. The heading of the psalm is interesting. Renee Brummagen read it for us just a moment ago, and I'll read it again. The psalm begins, To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Apparently, Psalm 84 was written to be sung. It was given to the choir master, to the singer. And the Gittith, commentators say, was probably some kind of musical instrument. So Psalm 84 was written to be sung by the worshipers in the temple. And... It's attributed to the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? They're mentioned in the Old Testament, and interestingly, their name is attached to 11 of the, of the 150 Psalms. Most, a lot of people think King David wrote all the Psalms. He didn't. The sons of Korah wrote 11 of the, the Psalms. Interesting true story that relates to the sons of Korah in this particular Psalm was shared by 
a pastor long deceased, a well-known pastor when he was alive named Donald Ray Barnhouse. And he shared that when he was in seminary, he was going through uh, seminary with this guy in his class who, who really was a, a skeptic and just kind of mocked spiritual things. He, he eventually dropped out of seminary, as you might expect. But he was in a prayer meeting one time, and this guy was there. And the leader of the prayer meeting said, uh, would any of you like to share a, a verse that's been meaningful to you? God's really spoken to you, a verse that's, that's been significant. And with a smirk on his place, face, he blurted out 1 Chronicles 26, 18. And then he quoted it real quickly. 1 Chronicles 26, 18. And for the colonnade on the west, there were four at the road and two at the colonnade. And he said, now, if you think all the Bible's inspired, try getting some inspiration out of that. Well, I'm sure the room was somewhat quiet. It was a prayer meeting after all. But Pastor Barnhouse would later say, you know, I remember that incident, and I decided to go back and look at 1 Chronicles 26 and 18 and see what that verse meant in its context. And 1 Chronicles 26, 18, uh, we read, we're reading through our Bibles, we come across it. Frankly, it would feel a little bit irrelevant to us. But it's about the assignment of the gatekeepers or the doorkeepers in the temple worship. And verse 18 again reads, and for the colonnade on the west, there were four at the road and two at the colonnade. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the Korahites, the sons of Korah and the sons of Merari. Here's what I think is significant. God was interested in who stood at the door of the temple. God is interested in who stands at the doors when his people come to worship. He's interested in who unlocks the doors. He's interested in who makes the coffee and cleans the coffee. God is concerned enough about who serves his people when they gather to worship that he recorded it in his holy inspired word for us. And it's significant, I think, that the best-known verse, I suspect, in Psalm 84 is verse 10, which reads, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. If that sounds familiar, it's a song we've sung many times in our, our church. Better is one day. Better is one day. I was written about the sons of Korah, who were merely doorkeepers, gatekeepers. God sees. You may think your service for God is so small, lacking in meaning. Nobody sees, nobody cares. God does see. He does care. He cares who stands at the doors for his people. When his people come together to worship, it is extremely important to the Lord. Psalm 84 then, the sons of Korah, and I think it's one way it could be understood is, is having been built around these three blessings, these three benedictions. And the first one has to do with those who desire God's presence. 
Blessed are those who desire God's presence, as we read in verse 4. And verse 4 is kind of a summary of verses 1 through 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Verse 2 of the psalm leads into this, and the writers say, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. They go on to say, even the sparrows found a home making a nest in the temple somewhere. The point is simply this. It was not the temple. It was the presence of God that was at the temple. That's where God met his people. That's where God gathered to worship. That's the place to which people made pilgrimages to worship God. And so they could say, a day in your courts, a place where your people gather to worship is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why? Because God's presence is there. The blessing is pronounced on those who dwell in your house, who are near your presence, who seek your presence. And, and you see the little word out there, Selah. That word shows up in the Old Testament 71 times, almost always in the book of Psalms. And it's usually at the end of a sentence in the Psalms where there's some logical break. And commentators don't know what it means. It's probably a musical term since the Psalm is to be set to music. It might mean pause or, or lift up your voices here. But regardless, the first section of the Psalm ends with a benediction, blessed, blessed are those who dwell in your house, blessed are those who draw near to you, blessed are those who seek your presence. And then we have a second benediction in the psalm. It comes right after this one in verse 5. And the explanation for this one is in the verses that follow it, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those who find their strength in God. This refers to people who don't depend on themselves when life gets hard. They turn to God. They draw their strength, their wisdom, their renewal from God. And so this blessing is pronounced. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now that's a strange statement. Obviously it's a figure of speech. We don't have highways in our hearts. But it's talking about those who long for pilgrimage to the place where God is worshipped. These are people <clears throat> who know their strength comes from the Lord. The answer for life for them is in God, not elsewhere. Their strength comes through Him. As they go through <clears throat> the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. In some translations, <clears throat> the Valley of Baca, <coughs> excuse me, is called the Valley of Weeping, the Valley of Tears, because of the similarity of <clears throat> the word for the Hebrew word related to tears or weeping. I remember years ago, I was on a mission trip in Romania, and our host was going to take us to this village that he called a leper village, uh, this was some years ago, and <clears throat> the people who lived here were very elderly, but their bodies bore the effects of uh, leprosy. Some of them didn't have limbs and so forth. They had a little chapel where they worshipped. And so we're driving around these uh, winding roads down this mountainous area into this valley. 
And the guy explained, they call it the valley of weeping because that's what's in the Psalms. And I realized he was talking about Psalm 84. What they didn't realize, I suspect, is that Psalm 84, sorry, let me cough one moment. Always turn off the mic before coughing. Um, Psalm 84 is not saying you live in the valley. You stay there. No. You pass through the valley of tears because your strength is in God. And for those who find their strength in God, even the valley of weeping, the valley of sorrow, becomes a place of life-giving springs, pools of refreshing water. Now, some commentators say the word baka refers to an arid or dry place because the word sounds like the balsam tree that grows in arid places. But the, the application for us is the same either way, isn't it? Whether you're going through a season of grief, of tears, or a season of spiritual dryness where you don't even sense God's presence, it's by turning to God and finding your strength in God that even in difficult circumstances, there's the life-giving water that comes from the Spirit of the living God for those who find their strength in Him. And then the next verse, I think it's my personal favorite in this psalm, and it's one I've thought about a lot lately. The sons of Korah write, for those who find their strength in God, they go from strength to strength. They don't stay where they were, they grow. It's the principle of spiritual increase, spiritual progress, spiritual advancement. It seems to me that lots of folks in their spiritual life, a lot of us Christians, come to faith in Jesus, get in church, get in a Bible study, and, and get a good discipline of Bible study. And there's a danger, a great danger over the years, over time, of becoming complacent in our spiritual growth. Feeling like life is, is pretty good. We'll just, you know, we'll just go through life. We're okay. We're saved. We're Christians. That's fine. But I think it's possible to miss much of what God has for us if we don't continue to seek God. I really believe God's will for every Christian is that we, we grow from strength to strength so that next year you and I are not at the same place in our spiritual strength that we were this year, that we grow in faith, that we grow in love. Paul prays everything for the Philippian believers when he says this, I pray that your love may grow more and more. Peter says, I pray you will grow in grace, the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers go from faith to greater faith, from strength to greater strength. You can grow increasingly in your communion, your fellowship with God, as you age, so that when you get to the end of life, passing through the veil of death, will just be stepping into the immediate presence of the one whom you have grown to know very well, in love with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Spiritual complacency is an unrecognized enemy for many people 
and, and, and we quit seeking God. But throughout Scripture, we find that the, the God-seeker, the one who keeps seeking God, is rewarded. What happens for a lot of people when they go through the Valley of Baca? Some grief, some hurt, some loss. Some dry place, some hurt. They get angry and they don't humble themselves and find their strength in God. They turn from God instead of turning to him. And the psalm writer is saying, for those whose strength is in you, when they go through the hard places, because they draw strength from God, they are strengthened with might by his spirit and their innermost being, it can become for them a place of growth, a place of life-giving pools, and they can go from strength to strength. Maybe you find yourself in a place of spiritual stagnation or complacency. I often have. I often have in life. And I find that um, there are just continual times when I need to redevote myself to seeking God. It starts with humbling ourselves before him. Sometimes we find there's a need to repent for something that's kind of stolen our devotion from God or hardened our heart. And it, it comes from seeking to do what the Apostle Paul said to do, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to continue that revitalization in us. And I want to just pause right now and pray for all of us to experience that continued renewing work from the Holy Spirit you join me as we do? Father, I think of your servant, the Apostle Paul, who said, though the, the body, the body's wasting away, getting older, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And we want to experience the fullness of inward renewal as your people. We do not want to be people who stagnate spiritually or become complacent in our seeking. You've called us to never grow weary in our zeal. And so, Father, we pray for a rekindled desire in each of our hearts to know you better, to love you more, to walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, to grow in loving you with all our heart, mind, love, and strength, and, and loving our neighbors, loving others as we love ourselves. So, Lord, we pray, please, Holy Spirit, do that work in us. Do that work in us individually and as a church, Lord, I ask. May we go from strength to strength. And we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who seek your presence, who worship you. Blessed are those who find their strength in God. And then thirdly, blessed are those who trust in God. This is the last verse of the psalm, verse 12. The Lord of hosts blesses the one who trusts in you. And I think it can be thought of as a, as a summary of the whole psalm for the one who seeks God who, who, who draws near to him in worship, the one who draws strength from God, certainly that one grows in 
trust of God, but I think it's especially a summary verse for the verse that immediately precedes it, verse 11. Let's look at Psalm 84, 11, just a moment. Here's what it says. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now let's look at those for a moment. Sun and shield. Why is God called a sun? The Lord God is a sun. I think it's a reference to the glory of God. Uh, when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew was on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says his face shone like the sun. And um, his own disciples, when they heard God speak, fell on their faces. The glory of God is something when humans encounter just slightly in Scripture, it brings them to deep humility, often falling on their faces before God. And the fact is that mere human beings, in and of ourselves, could never stand before the awesome, holy glory of God. In our sin, we would be destroyed. But the God who is the Son, is also our great shield. And the beautiful teaching of the gospel is that in Jesus, God's glorious holiness, which would destroy us in our sin, meets with his great grace, which rescues us in Christ. Jesus, when he took our place on the cross, bore the judgment for our sin, bore the weight of our sin. So that one day, he can, in the words of Jude, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The only way we human beings can stand before the presence of God's glory is, is that we've embraced Jesus and the salvation he's provided. When we have, we have that beautiful assurance. I think Andrew talked about it two weeks ago from Jude, Jude 24. He present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The Lord God is a son. The Lord God is a shield. The Lord gives favor and honor, his unmerited grace, his favor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God frees us from the from our, he frees us from our, our sin. He frees us from our disobedience. And then he calls us to a life of obedience and rewards us for our obedience. So blessed is the one who trusts him. And so, brief recap, blessed are those who seek God, who desire his presence. Blessed are those who find their strength in him. Blessed are those who trust him. And then one day, for those who have received the salvation provided by the Messiah of Jesus, we'll find we don't need to ever seek God in a place or even need the sun itself, because this is what the book of Revelation says. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. All who know him, all who have embraced the salvation that he's freely provided through Jesus, 
all who know Jesus as Lord will be there without condemnation. So, just three quick questions by way of personal application as we close. Let's ask ourselves these questions. Am I a God-seeker? Am I living a God-seeking life? As the writer of Hebrews says, God rewards those who seek him. Jesus says those who seek will find. God calls us to a life of seeking. He calls us out of spiritual complacency and into a life of seeking. I'm not talking about seeking our salvation. I'm talking about after we've received our salvation, growing to know him better and love him more. Is there an area of my life in which I need to particularly draw strength from God? Area where I need to humble myself before him? Draw upon his grace, draw upon his strength, draw upon his wisdom, recognize I can't do this in my own strength. I need grace from God, strength from God for this. And then thirdly, am I learning to trust him and also to obey him? Let's pray about that this morning, shall we? Father, I pray that as your people, we would experience your benediction, your blessing increasingly. And certainly the greatest of all blessings is that which you've given us in Christ Jesus. So I pray for anyone here who has never fully put his or her trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If you are here and you are uncertain whether you truly know him, I'd invite you today, if you indeed believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that God raised him from the dead to give you eternal life. You're willing to turn from your own rule, your own life, and to become his follower. I'd invite you to do that. You can do that very simply by praying a prayer using these words right where you are. Dear God, I do believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. That you raised him from the dead to be my Savior and Lord. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Lord, forgive me. Save me. Be my Lord. Empower me to follow you all the days of my life. 